Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what we do at Kung Fu Podcast. I'm your host, Sifu, T.W. Smith. Thank you so much for joining today in episode number 88. This is going to be a talk with internationally recognized karate expert and traditional martial artist, Mr. Ian Abernathy. I was really excited about the opportunity to talk with Ian, someone who I've gotten to know over the past couple of years and someone that I have a great deal of respect for his work. In this episode, we're going to take a glimpse of the boy that became a man in the martial arts. We all have drivers that guide us to new places. There are many instances that martial arts are shown to be interwoven with inner development. In Chinese martial arts, you can find the writings of the warrior and the poet, being a better person, going back to the 14th and 15th century. A podcast that is slated to be redone is Kung Fu Podcast number four, that you can get to by going to kungfupodcast.com forward slash four. And in many of Ian's podcasts, he will also quote karate teachers and their perspective of development of self and your martial art as you go along. During our talk, you're going to hear us both share what the traditional martial arts has meant to both of us in our personal development. If you're a practitioner of traditional martial arts, I believe you're going to find some real value in this episode. There will be several topics that we'll discuss, but two other main topics I really want you to be attentive to is how traditional martial artists of various styles can find ways to interlink respectfully and maintain your own identity. You're going to also hear us talk about if you're an aspiring martial artist who one day wants to carry a torch for the traditional martial arts or have your own school, then you're going to find some information here as well. And at the end of our conversation, which is about an hour and 10 minutes long, I will review some of the highlights and share an announcement or two with you as well. Now, when the recording begins, you're going to pick up literally right after Ian and I say hello, and we're just getting ready to talk. This way, I, I uh, sat here last night and tried to make sure that uh, everything was running. And and I got in here about 5 o'clock this morning because I usually get up pretty early anyway. And the uh, Skype had updated itself last night. So when I, <laughs> I came in, I turned on Skype and I said, oh, your update's been installed. And I was <laughs> getting pretty nervous that everything I'd set up the night before was gone. Uh, let me see here. It looks like, yeah, we're... Yeah, we're all rolling. Uh, how how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, no complaints. Yeah, happy. Yeah, uh, happy. But that that's actually, man. I I know that uh, following you around sometimes, like on your Twitter or your Facebook, is like uh, like a virtual uh, traveling agent. <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know, I've learned more about the European towns and cities and things like that. You know, just kind of uh, catching up on some of your posts here and there, and it's it's been a wonderful experience to just see how you move around I, sometimes i do wonder if you sleep less than i do though uh maybe but when i do sleep i sleep yeah I, I, yeah when i sleep i usually define it as a fallout <laughs> you know the main things i had been wanting to ask you just kind of like personally if we were just out and i'd met you and we were sitting down just having dinner and catching up and talking a little bit some things i'd love to ask you and then uh, just on a personal basis, uh, because so much of the work and time you and I get to spend each, with each other, whether it's uh, you know a quick email here or there, is usually associated with the martial arts. Yes, uh, yeah. I've uh, always enjoyed getting to know folks who 
you know, the person behind the arts. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Those were some of the things I was, I, I would think of it as kind of like a selfish interview to start. I just, some things <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. And then uh, one of the things I am going to ask you about a little bit later is the article and I had made a post on it, uh, or at least a note on it too. Uh, it was, I think it was in March at the forum there of yours that I love. It's the, actually the only form I regularly go by to check. And it was on uh, the topic where is karate or Kung Fu styles dead? And I've got a couple of notes there to bring up. Yeah, no problem. Brilliant. Uh, all right. Before I really just start, I, I just got to say thank you. One of the things that happened in my martial arts journey is that I learned how to use my iPhone. And <laughs> with that, I learned how to pick up on some podcasts and things like that and ran across yours. And I'll never forget the first time I was listening to one of your podcasts and you made the comment about martial arts being for health and uh, practical martial arts for combat or uh, self-defense and things like that. And, and it was actually the first time I'd ever heard anybody else speak the words that I had grew up with in the martial arts. And I was just astonished to be honest with you. And then you made a comment one time, and this is struck a chord with me. And I, at first I wasn't going to bring it up in this interview because this is a, it's a little bit embarrassing, but, uh, you know, I had for many years practiced martial arts with a very practical understanding and not a lot of the foo-foo stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of kept my head down, to be honest with you. I was, uh, you know, I took care of my students. I worked hard, did my training and, then in one of those podcasts is where you made a statement that if you are a practical martial artist or a traditional martial artist and not part of the McDojo kind of systems where you had all this uh, basically backing, whether it's financial or advertisement type of backing. And if you're a traditional martial artist and you weren't out there speaking and standing up, then you were actually supporting indirectly the promotion of the mcdojos yeah allowing them to dominate yeah yeah yeah. and boy that that was like a frying pan that just kind of smacked me in the face i was <laughs> i was like well you know i've done a pretty good job just keeping my mouth shut a lot of times because uh, it doesn't seem like it's always well received when you might speak from a practical standpoint yeah yeah uh, so um that really got me mo motivated to think about my path, about how I wanted to share stories and thoughts and feelings and the practical martial arts and find that from my world, as far as the Kung Fu goes, that uh, surprisingly enough through Kung Fu Podcast is that there's a whole world of folks out there like that. Uh, to tell you what it always reminds me of is, do you remember the old sci-fi movie, Logan's Run? You know, you know, so mm -hmm. there's these people trapped behind this wall and, you know, what I mean, they don't know there's an outside world and they kill them off when they reach 30. Then eventually this guy leaps over the wall and discovers this whole community out there that he never knew existed. It's the same thing. You know, people get, you know, once you step outside, you just realize that there's just there's an army of us all thinking the same way. We just need to kind of connect with one another a little bit more, I think. And that's why podcasts such as yours are so important, I think. Well, thank you. Uh, it's been one of the things that, uh, to be honest with you, I've I heard you talk about it once, but I get emails and uh, 
different types of communication now from literally around the world, from places I, I've only imagined, or maybe I have to literally go Google to find out where they're emailing me from. <laughs> uh, because unlike yourself, I, you know, I, I really haven't traveled much out of North Carolina, except for the great state of Texas, where I lived in uh, Houston for quite some time. Uh, and by the way, uh, how'd you like Texas? I enjoyed it. Lovely. We had a really good time down there. People mm. were really nice, and the weather for January was fantastic. It was like a summer's day in Cockermouth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I can tell you that when it gets down summer down there in uh, South Texas, it is hot, and I mean hot like no hot. Yeah, well, they all, they all told me, you know, that's it's it's you know it can be really oppressive. It's not a time of year, you know, given the choice you want to be there. So I looked out. <laughs> well, some of the things uh, that I had wanted to ask you was, first, I grew up in a small town here in North Carolina, very kind of rural. A lot of times when I hear you talk about some of the stories and how you grew up and, you know, you had to go hunt around for magazines in order to find anything out about martial arts. Uh, where you grew up there, was it kind of a small town, too? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's getting bigger all the time. But, it, yeah, that, it's, a, it's a rural area. Main industries are kind of um, there is some industry, but it's it's mainly kind of agriculture. Mm. Um, uh, quiet town, you know. The, the the nearest martial arts place to me um, that 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 was you know running classes was like fifteen miles away. Mm. I don't think there was anything in the town. There's a judo club that had been there for a while, but you know, I wasn't that wasn't where what I wanted to do. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the thing, you know, in the post internet days, it's dead easy to find information, but back then you just you know, I'd got the library and there'd be a few books on martial arts, but mm. just basic keys out to do a basic punch stuff. So mm. yeah, I lived in a very rural area. Yeah. Well, with that being said, first you said it was agriculture. I one of the things that motivated me to uh, get an education was the fact that I grew up in an agricultural area and picking cotton, priming tobacco, hanging tobacco and things like that was hard labor. And I was like, I've got to do something different than this. When I get older. <laughs> so uh, did you have a uh, agricultural growing up did you have to work out there on the farms at all no i didn't work at my um cousin's <laughs> uncle um owned a farm so that was the only kind of family connection so we'd spend as kids i'd be there every single sunday and mm. then it was just great but you know it was just basically running riot in these wide and open spaces with my cousins and my brother you mm. know b build building camps and rope swings and all that kind of fun yeah. stuff that you do you know so it was um but no, no, I never worked on a farm at any any point, you know. And then, and the other big industry, we've got a big, uh, it's a, like a nuclear reprocessing plant, mm. um, is, is where most of the, I mean, it obviously brings a lot of wealth and uh, stuff to the, the area. So um, for me, that was, I knew that I didn't want to leave the area at that time. Part of the mm. reason was because, you know, I was, the school I was training at for the karate was just great and I didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to go to university, didn't want to do anything like that. I knew that karate was my thing. And whether that was a, a wise decision to make, it's the decision I made. So mm -hmm. um, I, I um, got employment there as an uh, electrician. So that's what I did, mm. you know. So You were an electrician there? Yes, yeah. For oh. um, So I served my apprenticeship there and then worked there for another kind of 12 years or so before I kind of left to do what I do now. Okay. Yeah. Now, how, how old are you now? I'm 45 this year. 45. Wow. Uh, when did you get started in the karate? About how old were you? Uh, about 11, I think. 11, wow. nearly 12. 
So it was um, that was same, you know, pretty much. I would think that most kids that age get into, you know, that you. I, I remember vividly watching Enter the Dragon was on TV, and I just thought, <laughs> oh, I've got to get me some of that, you know. I mean, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, and so, and again, same thing, you know. Okay, I want to learn. I was a fairly quiet kid, so the idea of going to a class with other people and you know, just fairly reclusive, mm. which you know, so, so didn't really suit. So that you know, I'll try and learn this myself so you, you kind of okay where do i start well library let's go to the library let's go to the bookstore mm. so you're finding basic books because every book you buy on martial arts back then they're not very good mm. and also you know you've got all of the books here you can't learn this from a book <laughs> right right <laughs> so i thought okay i'm gonna have to bite the bullet here and take classes and it just so it, one of the two of the guys actually that I went to school with, they were training at the club that I started with. So they said, well, you know, if you want to do it, come along with us. Mm. So I went, first class was a disaster. I got punched in the stomach. I got dropped on the floor. I hated every single second of it the first time I went. <laughs> um, but the instructor said, look, I couldn't spend much time with you today, so I won't charge you anything. So, you know, mm. come back next week and we'll spend some more time. You know, he was getting them ready for a grading. Mm. So the next week I went back and he would spend some time with me. I thought, yeah, this is actually all right. This, this is fun. So that, that's kind of... <laughs> how I got in, into it that way. But, you know, it's just, again, prior to that point, I mean, if you ask my mother and father, I did nothing. You know, I just was not interested in anything. My brother did My brother did judo. My brother played played soccer, you know, really kind of outgoing and active. And then mm. for me, it was not, just wasn't interested. Hang out with his friends and read comic books. And that was it, you know. So mm. they were always trying to get me motivated to do something. Mm. And then so, of course, when I kind of, the karate kind of, oh, I quite like this. It was like, oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so is this something he cares about you know yeah you know, is this a, an older brother uh, no is he my younger brother he's three younger. years younger than me yeah, mm. yeah. so your 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 family like your dad or your mom didn't uh wasn't involved in martial arts at, at all this was just something that kind of organically came out of you well, well that, that's that's right but i mean like i remember you know my, my dad when my dad would go to the library he'd always get some books for us as well you see so mm-hmm. he'd come back he was always he'd get me martial arts books and stuff mm. and i remember you know regularly like uh, as kids we'd take the cushions off the kind of sofa <laughs> put them on the floor and i'd wrestle with my dad yeah. my dad used to do cumberland and westmoreland wrestling when he was at school and mm. stuff. So there was that kind of element, all just playing fun, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it, it, again, I can remember those vividly, even mm. though I was very young, so it must have had an influence. Mm. And then, um, you know, my dad was, uh, he was the guy who'd drive me to the classes and wait outside and stuff for me. But, uh. Uh, they, they, never, they never formally, you know, practiced martial arts. It's not a familial thing. It's just me uh. and my, my nephews now do it, but mm-hmm. that, that, that's it. That's the mm-hmm. only family connections uh, but so that but they were real supportive of it it sounds like and encouraging of it oh, my, 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 yeah absolutely i mean my mother um she's very proud of me when i like passed belts or won trophies nice. or whatever it was but she um i do remember saying that you know she, she just wished i'd took up something a little less violent <laughs> <laughs> and, and then she said she goes i wish you'd done something a little bit less violent like rugby <laughs> <laughs> Which, which always made me laugh. I thought, well, at least I'm honest about the violence. You know right. what I mean? So, yeah. and I, I, I don't think, you know, I think that it, it's one of the things my mother is squirmish about. I don't think she's watched one of my DVDs or anything like that. You know, the idea of hitting people and it's not something she's got much tolerance for. So yeah. while she's very proud of what I do, you know, the nuances of it is just something. It's like, okay, that's that's the instinct. Mm. 
Well, my dad had a law enforcement background, and so did my grandfather going way back into the 50s. And so, uh, uh, and I'm, my dad boxed quite a bit too. So uh, there was always that kind of, like you were saying, that kind of horsing around and playing around kind of, yeah. that was part of the part of the family setting. And, and then mine was much like yourself. Uh, it was just a very organic, nobody in my family was doing martial arts. I'm the oldest uh, son. And so, but for something, my mom always said it was somewhere around the time that she actually told me the story that she remembers the first time I was ever really interested in Chinese martial arts was uh, shortly. She got up one morning, it was about six o'clock, and I was up having my cereal and I was reading the paper. And it was about the time that Nixon had gone to China. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was a big deal. It was all, you know, the only time you got news or at least back in that part of North Carolina then was literally through the newspaper. And, um, after that, just learning Kung Fu was just something that was always in the back of me. And it wasn't until I was much older that I actually pursued that. And it, I was very glad I did. I had a note here because, um, I, it was in regards to your book, that you wrote, I guess, is, is your first book, the book on mental strength? Uh, that was the last one, yeah. Oh, so last? I, I wrote, wrote that in it's a while ago, though. Probably <clears throat> yeah, about 2005. 2005 yeah. Six, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I downloaded the audio for the first chapter of it uh, that was released, I guess, sometime later. And one of the things I made a note of it, as soon as I started, probably 30 seconds in, I just wrote this note, got to ask me about this. <laughs> Accent sounded different in the audio, not like a different mic different, but almost like it was lighter, almost like you had more air in your accent. Has your accent changed over, over the? No, I don't think so. If you, if you uh, ask my, um, my my family and friends, that they'll they'll say not. Mm. What that was is um, the audio book. It's a weird thing, you know how these things work. Is I the book is mine. I own the book. I don't own that audio and that audio is not the audio of the book it's the audio that was taken from a dvd that uh, that oh. i was paid to make off a spin off of it oh. so when we did that one there was a professional director uh, and full team with me filming me while we did the audio for that you see mm. so as a result that will be my posh voice i will have been coached to soften the accent and reminded if i didn't you see so that may be why it sounds a little bit ah okay oh yeah. well, now i've never i've never had that type of experience but that you're being coached and uh making a professional dvd like that was that um that's got to be an interesting experience all into itself isn't it oh it's fantastic i mean what it was i'd um there was a company they don't do martial arts stuff anymore but for a while there's a company called summersdale um who mainly now to do like travel books and humor books and stuff like that. But for a while, they were the martial arts publisher in the UK before they moved out of the market. And they decided they wanted to do, um, as well as doing books on that, they wanted to do some videos. So it was a, a, a girl called uh, Louise Musgrave who worked with celebrities to coach them on media. She worked with the BBC for their presenters and stuff. Mm. And then she had a lovely guy, uh, girl, Lou, as well, really nice. So then she, she, she ended up working for Summersdale. So they'd said, well, let's try and get these guys can punch and kick and throw and trap and all that kind of stuff, but they're not automatically the best at coming across on camera. So we're going to coach them all. So they said, you know, if you want to do this, Lou will give you like a day or two's training. And, and what a great investment that was, hmm. you know, because just someone who understands the, the, the business and then can give you some very simple tips about ways to make sure you cross and simple things that you don't, you wouldn't know otherwise. 
and um, and I do when I watch TV presenters and newscasters, I'm full of admiration for them because they make it look so easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it is, oh, you, yeah. point a, you point the camera at someone, and their IQ just seems to like drop by fifty points. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it, 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 to come across on camera well is is very difficult, I think. And I think through the coaching that she gave, um, my latter DVDs, I think, are far better in terms of presentation than the the earlier ones mm. and um and i've used she, she's been director she was director on that one and she's been director on a few others of mine mm. uh, even when she left summersdale you know we kind of asked her if she'd do it and she just she, she yeah you know i'll, I'll help you do it mm. and she's always best at, at really good at making sure that you know she, you've captured everything you want to capture and it comes across as well as possible so yeah no it was it was it was a fantastic opportunity to, to have that you see and not have to kind of fumble through and learn for yourself to have that expert instruction yeah and it really helped you know just as a an observer one of the things i've always loved about your you know like one minute two minute clips here and there is that the way that you are very articulate in the way that you say things and then you're also very you're you're speaking to the people and having got to meet you and it was wonderful to get to meet you up there in the mountains of north carolina uh and to actually see you doing that work where you're talking with the crowd but you're also very conscientious of where the camera is and how you're working on it. So that's presented well to everybody, including the audience who's going to be seeing it on YouTube uh, <laughs> is, is absolutely amazing. So uh, great skills you got on that. Um, personally, I'm, continuing to try and invest in my education as far as uh, presenting things and storytelling and uh, trying to get in touch with a couple of, well, I've actually gotten in touch with a couple of uh, voice coaches who are trying to situate me into their schedule. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting a little bit more professional guidance as well. In that book, though, you had written a comment. I'm just going to quote it here. It says, I achieved those things by following the process covered in this book. Although in the early days, not always knowingly, yeah. it's not that I'm anything special. It's just that the process works, end quote. And so I was wondering, you know, it's been a decade or so since you wrote that. If you were to go back to that book, do you think there would be parts or, that you might add or tweak as compared to where you are today? Um, no, not really. Um, um, I, I probably have, I've got a few more stories to tell and there may be some bits that I would kind of expand upon. But uh, in, t in terms of, like, the process there, because I think that one of the things with that book is, I mean, it's been a popular book. You know, it, it mm -hmm. has sold really well. But one of the, the most common bits of feedback is I read it and I went, yeah, that's exactly right. This is stuff that people already know. Anyone who's lived a life knows that stuff. Mm. But you just sometimes need someone to articulate it back to you to go, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think in terms of... Um, has anything changed since then? I don't really think so. Mm. Probably, hopefully, have improved a little as a writer, and there's a few little things I would expand on. There's a few life experiences that I didn't have back then that I could draw on and put in the book. But the general process, I would kind of content mm. with the way that's presented. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, to your point, absolutely. I, in fact, had a lesson yesterday uh, where I was working with a student, and I made the comment similar to what you just said. It's uh, always intriguing how Dad could have told you something seven or eight times, <laughs> and it wasn't until Uncle Johnny told you that it actually made sense. And you go back and he told you the same thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, this is the thing. I um, When I do the seminars, there's a few guys who take me, you know, they invite me regularly to their dojo. And the, the guy that's the instructor there can teach the stuff that I teach every bit as well as I can. Do you know what I mean? Their understanding is the equal of mine. 
so you've asked them, you know, look, so why do you invite me in? Because you can do this yourself. And one of the guys said to me, because because when you say it in a different accent, they listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that that's it. Okay, he's a guy with a British accent. We'll listen to him when he says this, you know. But <laughs> in, a, in a lot of cases, I, I think that's true. You know, I think mm. so, sometimes it's just... And, and I think also sometimes it can be someone will present it just slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And that's enough to make all that dormant knowledge that's been pumped in by someone else just click. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like, okay, that makes sense now. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, now in the book, and I know one of the things that for me personally and uh, a lot of folks that, uh, you know, I work with, everybody does pretty well. In fact, I've got a podcast, the podcast to debate and Kung Fu I'm working on. I've been working on now for almost a week and a half and pretty much it's about mindset and mindfulness and things like that. And because I was getting very uh, the word mindfulness was starting to come across to me almost like the word chi, like it was some sort of silver bullet that everybody's yeah, supposed yeah. to take in. And I, I had this wrote myself a note, just, you know, I'm going to have to put this in a podcast. And it basically was going to be mindfulness when the moment sucks, you know, basically, <laughs> where, you know, where, because most people kind of like what you're alluding to in the book, many people do well in their mindset and their training until they run into a problem, that obstacle or hurdle. And then it's kind of like their emotional intelligence, their mental strength, or just their mental stamina, you know, get challenged if it doesn't dissipate altogether. Do you feel that traditional martial arts has a, at least a partial responsibility for helping, helping the students of the traditional martial arts develop that area, the mental strength and emotional intelligence? Oh, no, absolutely. I haven't got it to hand, but it's one of my favorite quotes by Funakoshi, where he talks about, you know, that if you've worked years to master one kick and punch and you've gone through the blood, sweat and tears of training, he says a person like this should be able to kind of face any task and see it through to the end. And I remember when I was going through a really rough time in my life, you know, really rough. I was talking to a, um, a friend who's also a martial artist and in these really wise words, he just went, he goes, Ian, he says, your training will be your salvation. Mm. You know, and it really stuck with me because I thought, you know, you know, he's, he's right. I, I again, because I think you know, dojo training is tough, but life's tougher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but but I think through the dojo, you get used to that process of, you know, what this sucks, but I can always go a little bit further. I can always push. I can always just take a breather for five seconds, then go again. You know, mm-hmm. it, it develops that resilience. I think. And then, mm. and then, so, you know, and, and again, just like in life, sometimes we manage it and sometimes we don't, but the, the fact is we just keep on going. It's a famous Winston Churchill quote, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and, and martial arts, I think, does does encourage that kind of doggedness and that defiance of your your own weaknesses and your defiance of circumstance, you know. So, uh, yeah, and, and that, you know, I, I think we... See, this is one again, one of the reasons I enjoy your podcast so much is it's just plain talking. It, it, it avoids unnecessary complexity that people can get lost in. And when you talk mm. about the martial arts as like, uh, uh, um, uh, in air quotes, spiritual or, 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 mm-hmm. or, or mental training, it doesn't need to be something weird and esoteric. It's just simply the fact that you get used to enduring difficulty. You get used to goal setting. You get, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you just take it out of the dojo and apply it in everyday life. Well, and you... the mindfulness as well, you know, the, the point you just mentioned, same thing. Yes. Well, you know, one of the things that when I went to graduate school and I was 
learning how to be a research assistant, you know, so I was spending more hours a day behind a microscope than I could possibly tell you. And this was about before, <laughs> you know, computers were like, you know, I'm sitting here right now, you know, I have the MacBook cranked up with the retina screen and all this stuff. Back then it was an Apple computer that had like eight pixels. I mean, it was just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, know, you could go yeah. blind just trying to read from it from a, uh, from a few hours. And, the one of the things I was talking with one of my students is that, you know, at least in the martial arts and when we're practicing, we try to control, if not account for many of the variables that, you know, are happening inside in a dojo or the quone and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we would like to be able to put something together, says, OK, this is as practical as this ever going to be out there in case you ever had to defend yourself or something like that. But the reality of it is, is that. Life, like you were saying, is so much different that there's so many other intents and other people are going to have their objectives and things like that, that you can't always account for. You can assume that they're not good for you in some cases, right? But um, you almost have to be prepared to just be what you said there, resilient. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Just that, you know, just keep on going no matter what. Yeah. Now, one of the things I noticed... uh, you and I seem to have a little background and interest. Uh, I use strength training a lot in my um, overall workouts and things like that, and I have since I was young. Mm. And uh, that's something that you enjoy as well. I, I think you had, uh, what was it, about a year ago, you had some, uh, some one of your posts, and it had like three or four of your favorite grunting faces. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one of the weight sessions. You were doing some shoulder shrugs or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is weight training kind of a staple in your... It is, yeah. And that that was, um, I was a fairly thin kid. Um, And my main karate instructor, James, who's an eighth down, he pointed out to me, he lifts as well. And he said to me, you know, he says, you could probably do with... And because, I mean, I was like a teenager then, so I hadn't got what you'd call a man's strength at that point. So it said, you know, so some weight training would probably help the authority of your technique a little bit and, you know, just build that that weapon a bit more. So then I started weight training. It was one of those things like genetically, I am really gifted for that. I say to people, I can look at a weight and get bigger. You know what I mean? You know, I know some people really struggle. It's not a problem for me. I, I you know, if I if I hadn't found martial arts, powerlifting or weightlifting would have been, I think, something my body would be very well suited to mm. so i started doing the you know the weights and then thought you know what, i do feel stronger i'm not getting injured you know and i was responding well to it mm. um and ever since then you know it's been a, a part of my training it's still secondary to the martial arts mm. you know I, even last night that's what i was doing last night you know i was kind of had the weight bar loaded up and mm. it's been a part of my training since i was about 16 or 17 mm. so you know 30 odd years you know yeah right well i uh spent well many years in the bodybuilding and weight training and football and things like that so it was always kind of part of my training process and then when I started the martial arts uh, my teacher at the time basically just said you got to stop and uh, and I it really and the per, the reason that I was told that was mostly at that point in time was because as I've said on many occasions I you know my interest in getting involved in martial arts was because uh, I was a young man and I felt like I was kind of a wreck. Um, and I knew that I had to do something different. I had tried different avenues, different paths to try to, to, to find something. My dad had died when I was uh, 21, so I couldn't go to him. Uh, and I finally found my way 
after two years of searching into a martial arts studio that I was comfortable with. Uh, and he said, you just got to stop lifting the weights. And it was mostly so that I could focus a little bit more on my mindset and my things like, yes, yeah. you know, things like that. And, but, uh, once I was allowed to pull it back in, it became secondary behind. So, you know, for example, now I train, I teach the students a lot of times who are practicing for the practical martial arts components of it. I tell them, I say, you got to train like an athlete, you know, and an athlete, like a football player, for example, or a wrestler or a baseball player, he, he goes out and he works on his activities, his skills and things like that. And then he goes into the weight room. You'll very seldom ever see a, you know, an athlete go into the weight room and then go work on their yeah, absolutely. Yeah, skills. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so they had their priorities squared away. And that uh, that was something I had to evolve into is learning how, OK, today I'm going to do the long staff work. I'm going to do this kind of work. I'm going to do some hitting the poles, some impact conditioning and things like that. And then I'll go hit the weights. Whatever's left, I'll throw into the weight room. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it, the weights have always kind of been a place for me to uh, help my confidence uh, and as well as help me um, release some stress. But um, when it comes to your martial arts, one of the things I had made a note here I wanted to ask you, and you've kind of alluded to it already, through the martial arts, we learn a lot of powerful lessons. And I guess uh, for myself, I learned how to adjust my life through uh, some of the teachings I got through the martial arts. Hmm. Have you uh, have you had some of those same experiences? Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I... I dread to think of the person that I would be mm. without, without having, you know, got into the martial arts, but the, the lessons are innumerable. Mm. I, um, I've all kinds of things, you know, I've learned about, you know, the idea of goal setting, the, the value of consistent work in achieving a goal, you know, it almost becomes inevitable. If you do something consistently, it just gravitates you in the right direction. So, mm. you know, concentrate on the process and not like fixating on the product all the time. Mm. Learn that from it. And then all other things too, you know, I mean, like what you just said there, you know, that you learn a lot about friendships. One of the things I think, you know, as you go through life, you realize that everybody's having a difficult time of it. So sometimes just getting together with a group of people who are positive, where we'll smile, we'll have fun, we'll exert ourselves and we'll kind of learn a skill and progress a little bit. That in itself can be massively valuable. So you learn all kinds of stuff about, you know, community and friendships and interactions with other human beings as well. As well as, you know, the core skills of, well, if it all kicks off, you know, I know I've got kind of these self-defense skills in the bag as well. So, mm. so yeah, so much you can learn from it. Well, uh, one of the things I had learned, and I'm still learning, to be honest with you, is communication. And it wasn't so much about communication with other folks. It was about learning how to communicate with myself. Mm. You know, when, as you were talking about earlier, is when you, you know, you hit those roadblocks or... Uh, you get very frustrated that something was a lot more difficult than it seemed that it should be. And unfortunately, when I got involved in martial arts, my usual communication was the bigger hammer approach. <laughs> uh, I think you mentioned one time, you know, sometimes a hammer and paintbrush are two good tools <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Use the right uh, tool for the right job. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, I had no paintbrush. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was very or if I did, it was a dainty little paintbrush that I barely <laughs> even knew where it was. And I had to learn that I had to communicate to myself that, uh, well, sometimes things were not going to be the way that I wanted them. They were going to yeah. be the way that they are. And I had to conform to the way that they are rather than trying to hammer them into the way I wanted them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, so so you've had a similar experience or two like that? Oh yeah, I mean, that, oh. that, that, I was talking with a friend recently in um, martial arts uh, friend, and he was saying, you know, that and this applies to martial arts as well. Sometimes you're um, dominating, and sometimes you've got to go with what's coming at you. Hmm. And, and you're liking it like playing chess. Sometimes, you know, if you hmm. and I were having a game of chess, sometimes I'm making the moves and you're reacting. Sometimes I've just got to react to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, I think that that's the same kind of thing for life. You know, sometimes you can impose your will on it. You can get your big stamp, and this is the way we're going. In other cases, it's, well, okay, this isn't going the way I would like. So and to me, the trick is to always go, it's always on the here and now is, what is the smartest thing I can do, the most productive thing I can do with the circumstances as they are at this moment? Mm. And, and and if you do that consistently enough, again, it tends to guide it towards a positive position, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's exactly the sort of communication that, you know, you, 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 where you're talking with yourself and trying to find this inner wisdom you know, or at least uh, some sort of guidance in yourself that uh, you literally are, you pick up along the way in the martial arts and it kind of gets, uh, what's the right word, well, uh, drilled it, into it, you. It does. And, and, and in addition to that, I think the martial arts gives you the chance to listen too. Mm. Because, you know, I, I think on a, on a day-to-day basis, we all get, you know, whipped up in the frenzy of everyday life, you know. And sometimes, you know, your brain just needs that little quiet moment to say to you, this is the smart thing to do. Mm. You know, and I think sometimes, like, you know, if you're doing your forms, the fact that they, again, it's that mindfulness thing, the fact that they con- they, they require your full attention and it just mm-hmm. quietens your mind down a bit. Or if you're sparring with somebody, I can't be thinking about my problems or my issues <laughs> because if I do, I'm going to get whacked. I need <laughs> right. to be concentrating on what's coming at me. And and that, that little bit of quiet time, I find, others may find differently, but I find that's often enough just for that little voice to pop through. Mm. So I realize on the days where, you know, like I'm really stressed or I've got loads of issues and problems and you think, oh, the last thing I want to do is train. That's the day I should train because mm. invariably, well, you know, you just, you, you, it gives you the space. And then normally I find that, okay, I've got a different perspective on this now and I can see what it is that needs to be, what the best option is at this moment, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about it, because uh, I know for me, martial arts literally helped me change. And one of the things that has been extremely beneficial and helpful for me is the martial arts and me being a dad. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's been times where my sons wanted to learn and not learn and uh, practice and not practice and things like that. And and I had a, I had made myself a note to ask you, as a dad, has martial arts been something that you've relied on to kind of help you as far as helping you, you know, raise your children? No, not at all. Other than I, I think one of, the, one of the things is I think martial arts, not not specifically because martial arts, it permeates everything you do. So, so in terms of, you know, any, any situation that you find yourself in, you're a different person because of the experiences you've had through life, you see. So, and I think, you know, as we talked about, you know, martial arts develops things like, you know, patience, and that can be useful in your interactions with everybody and the ability to explain things logically, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, this is why you shouldn't play with knives, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. Right. Um, so, no, I think other than, and obviously teaching helps because that improves your communication skills, mm. you know, so, mm-hmm. so I was teaching children a long time before I had any of my own, you know, so mm. that, that probably helped as well to agree, I think. So. Yeah, I could see that too. Well, this kind of segues me into the article I had mentioned. And like I said, uh, your forum, uh, there has a, some, of uh, wonderful folks. I, I've always enjoyed going there. Occasionally I get to post and things like that, but, uh, always, uh, some really smart folks too. And one of the articles was, is karate and most Kung Fu styles a dead art? And it was posted just in March 2016. 
And I'm going to read a little bit from it and then some of the responses that you'd made because I it was really um, interesting to me to kind of follow this flow. And a Mr. Donks had written in, is that how you would say his name? Donks, D-A-N-K-S? Uh, something yeah. like that. I'm yeah, not okay. sure of the exact pronunciation. Yeah. French part of the world he's from. I'm oh, curious. okay. Yeah. So, uh, and he made it, and I just want to summarize here in quotes, don't, you don't actually know the original intention of the creators of the kata because it's been lost in time. And then I'm going to share the responses you had written. And it says, I think there's an error in thinking. It's suggesting a frozen in time view of the development of karate. I know exactly what the applications of kata are. I teach them to my people all the time and practice them endlessly. With full 100% certainty, certainly that what the applications are, that they work, and they fit in an enjoyable and effective framework that has kata at its core. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then it goes on to say that that thinking suggests that only a historical application is valid. It also suggests that we must endlessly theorize as to what could have been, even though we have no way if we are right or not. Pragmatism and practicality is what gives us validity, not an unplayable game of historical snap. Yeah. In that... When you, and I know that in the passion of which you teach and how you approach your craft, you are very confident that you can teach and share that what the applications of the katas are and things like that. And I actually I work with a few folks who have met you in the karate realm and things along those lines are extremely impressed uh, with your knowledge base and skill sets. Is that kind of thinking something that you run into periodically? Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And it's based on a flawed assumption that, you know, that karate was kind of, you know, it's been the way that it's been forever. It's been constantly evolving. No generation has passed it on without change. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's a fluid thing anyway. So to try and reach back for some grand ultimate that existed in the past, I think is, it's an error. You know, as a friend of mine said, he goes, in, name any other field of human endeavor and nobody thinks it reached perfection in the 1940s. We've got better cars now, better homes now, you know, everything's improving. So we want to kind of make that contribution to karate too. Mm. And then with regards to the forms, you know what I mean? We did have this kind of historical blip where, you know, for a significant period of time, whatever it was, 30, 40 years, you know, bad applications were practiced or people practiced forms without applications. Mm. So people of my ilk have gone, well, okay, we want to know what these are all about. So I've looked at them and go, do you know what? Viewed through the lens that the old masters provided, you know, that they give mm. us the Rosetta Stone, if you like, if not, you know, that they told us how we should look at them. Viewed through that, we come up with things, you know, this really works. This is really <laughs> functional. This is really effective. So as a result, I mean, there's things that come from my traditional karate that I've dumped, you know, because I just go, this is bad. I, and, and I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm not, I, I don't have a, an emotional attachment to kata for any other reason than it's it, it's functional. It does its job, mm. and and, and it, I am actually going to do a um, a podcast on this. So I mean, I, I, what I mm. basically thought of calling it was Karate 3.0 is what I was mm. going to call it. Mm. And the idea being, we had what, what people would deem as the original. So that's you know 1.0. Then we've got the weird one that existed for you know when it was. You know, we don't really understand it. It's just just do it, shut up, and repeat it. Don't understand <laughs> it. You know, so that's kind of Karate 2.0. And now we're at this new position, so we we need to stop kind of second guessing ourselves constantly we need to stop that it's been a useful process you know analyzing the cutters but we and we should continue to do it but we need to move on from that to say do you know what we know now what the applications are we know for a fact 
because this thing works, it's logical, it's efficient, we can un- all the underlying principles. It may not be exactly the same as what the old guys did, but who cares? Right. It's fully consistent with what they did tell us. It, we know it works in reality, and it fits with the form perfectly. So we've got our forms, our applications, and we should be running with that rather than constantly second-guessing ourselves. Well, and the process of uh, the difference between knowing something and then learning to actually do it or uh, totally, you know, there could be an ocean between those two things as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I always, when I'm at the seminars, I always make the analogy. I'd say, look, I know what an aeroplane is for. That does not make me a pilot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, when people go, I know what that moves for. Well, well done you. That, that's one step on the way. But can, can you apply it yeah. under extreme duress right. against a guy who doesn't want it applied to him? Because at that point, then you've got it. Not just simply knowing it as an intellectual exercise. Eh? Yeah. Well, I tell the story to my students that I remember the first time I learned that lesson and I had learned my first martial art that I was taught that I had to use in the sparring was the Tai Chi Chuan. And my classmates who were primarily learning Choli Foot because Choli Foot for them they were uh, special forces and ranger guys, and the Choli foot was a little faster to pick up. It was a little simpler to pick up some of the techniques. But uh, for whatever reasons, I was put in the Tai Chi Chuan, and uh, I didn't have to get deployed and things like that, so I had more time to saturate in things. And um, I remember trying to learn the art, and I said, Sifu, uh, I think I've got it. Backhand, intercept, center punch. Got it. You know, I feel pretty good. And he looked at me and said, well, that's great. And he said, uh, hey, John, John, go over there and hit Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, backhand center. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I realized that uh, that was my first lesson. I was like, okay, I need to go back, not necessarily to the drawing board, but I need to, there's a gradual process that goes from, like you're saying, I, I've seen it, I've done it. I've done it with a little bit of a challenge. Now I'm going to do it with somebody who's got totally a different objective, you know, and uh, most folks never go through that gradual process of uh, um, learning something at a great depth. In fact, I had made myself a note. I'm going to skip to something here that I have occasionally, because I was wondering if this happens with you, is that where someone comes in and they says, hey, you know, I really would like to learn martial arts, particularly like hand-to-hand combat or um, karate and things like that. And, you know, and you might say, well, sure, sure. Um, you know, I'd be glad to work with you and teach you, but it's not till later that they tell you, or you find out that the concept of their martial art was Jason Bourne. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you're, and they're sitting, you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what's going on, you know, trying to get them in the process. Uh, do you have, do you bump, bump into that quite a bit? Uh, to a degree. I mean, I, I, I can I can certainly say I experienced it myself. I remember leaving my first karate class disappointed that I didn't know how to backflip yet. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> you know, I, I get that people want things quick and then being told, look, it's going to take a, a while to get good at this um, can be discouraging for some. But mm-hmm. the way I try to get around, I think there are some simple functional skills that people can learn from day one. We can We can spend a long time, a lifetime, getting the nuances of it and improving it. But I think as soon as people feel, oh, I can do this, mm. you know what I mean? I, I, I think that, that tends to keep the confidence going. So if they're not able to 
dispatch enemies as quickly as Captain America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. So, but 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 you've got something you can do, and then the start to feel we can make progress, and we can work towards those higher skill levels as we go. But yeah, I mean, people are always conditioned by that. I think is because yeah, you have this problem constantly. I find when you talk to people um, about what works and doesn't. Um, the perceptions can be off. So you can say to a guy, like if you're talking about self-defense, you go, that's not a good option. That would work. And they'll say, well, I use it in sparring every night and it works great. And because I've only got experience of sparring with a fellow martial artist at a distance in a complementary fashion, mm-hmm. they, they, they make assumptions that all, I call it mono-context thinking, that they think that all violence is like that kind of violence. And you will get some people that the only experience of violence I've ever had is what they've seen on TV. Mm. So, so as a result, that's the assumption from which they operate, you see. And I think mm. once, if you've got little, you know, that's why it's important to drill live and, you know, very gradually, though, but it absolves people of those, you know, okay, that's never going to work. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a word for it, but I, I want to keep your podcast clean. But it, got, <laughs> it's your BS filters. It improves okay. your BS filters. If, 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 if you are... Um, if you do the live stuff, because you know, well, okay, that, that's not going to work. That wouldn't fit. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, well, and, and I'm going to actually come back to that a little bit because I'm going um, it's going to segue me here. Actually, uh, I had uh, remember reading at one point in time that uh, your teacher Peter Constantine, is yes, that, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, uh, he had studied Wing Chun at some point. Yes. Yeah. Now, is that something that uh, you've ever dabbled into? Uh, um, not uh, Peter studied it formally and properly and in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and then he, he adapted it into his karate. So he mm. calls it adapted Wing Chun. Okay, is what he does now. So so it fits with the the because on obviously that you trying to mix oil and water to a certain degree there, you know, because the different systems they've mm-hmm. got they've got commonality. Right. Um, so normally, you know, as part of training with Peter, um, we will do kind of some like live kind of stick and hand stuff and things like okay. that that he'll bring in. But it's done within a karate framework, you know. So. Okay. Huh. And most people at Kung Fu Podcast know that I'm a big supporter of the World Combat Association. And, and it's all organically. I, I want to, this is kind of like my disclaimer, uh, you know, Ian and the World Combat Association has never reached out to me to actively promote or support the organization it was just something that i found as i got to know you and getting to know many of the folks there uh, has just been a wonderful treat as far as my martial arts journey goes one of the things as you were alluding to earlier when you're trying to get through the bs filters is that you have to have a way to uh, literally put put up some gradual testing of self Mm. and that evolved into here is me putting together a practical martial arts class and I share it. And it's been one of these kind of almost surprise things for me. Again, like there's this whole world, like you were that analogy you gave before about you get over the wall and all of a sudden you see there's a whole community there, <laughs> right? Is uh, I started the practical martial arts class. I just let folks know it's style free, it's uh, form free, and it's, but it's objective oriented. Yes. And so uh, we basically start and we have military guys, prison guards, black belts. We've gotten folks who are judo, karate, uh, all kinds of folks in it. They come in. And so on one night I'll walk in and I'll say, OK, look, it, tonight what we're going to do is uh, you're going to start on this side of the room. Uh, you are going to get these air shields, focus mitts, uh, gear up. All right. Your objective is get to that door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, 
and it's amazing how much folks learn. And, you know, and it starts off mild. I'll usually say, look, I just want the Army and the military, a lot of times they'll tell you is go at 40 or 50 percent. So just, yeah, yeah. you know, and so that's what we'll do and kind of rev up a little bit as the student guns comfortable. And I, and they have to let me know that they're comfortable. They want to try a little bit more uh, and they want to work a little bit more. Another nights we just go in and say, look, all right, here here he is. I want him face down. Yeah. It's one of those things where I don't teach techniques unless the student says, I have no idea. And what I've come to find, though, and I'm sure you probably see the same thing, is that a lot of times when you're teaching a technique or something and you say, well, look, you could try this. Here's an elbow lock or, you know, here, you know, try this trip right here. And you might even find this in some of your forms or katas or things like that. Almost without a doubt, I don't care if I'm working with a kung fu uh, person in Choli foot or uh, a judo uh, person, they usually can go back to one of their styles or forms and they'll find that little segment. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that for whatever reason in the comment has been made at least two or three times. And it's part of the reasons why I've continued with the class and it's growing and developing is that folks keep saying, you know, I learned so much art, but I never really got the chance to practice it. Mm. That's really made me kind of hold hold tight onto that class and just encourage folks to practice their martial art. I'm not here to get you to change a style or a system. And a lot of that came from the theme that I was received with and got from the World Combat Association. And uh, that you, as a chief instructor there, have always presented that, that you don't have to be a karate guy or this. No. This yeah. And so I'm in hopes that the... World Combat Association, is that theme, I guess the curriculum there, is that evolving a little bit as we go along? Well, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, because it's an offshoot. For those that don't know, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's the WCA naturally flowed from the BCA, which is the British Combat Association, mm. uh, which was set up by Jeff Thompson and Peter Constantine to be a purely pragmatic association. It's multi-style as well. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that they regularly used to do was that once every two months they'd have what they call instructor meetings. So they'd have instructors of any given system come up and train and teach, you know, and, and everybody turned up. It was all in just normal training gear, not in geese with belts or rank or anything like that. So because of its nature, if you were a pragmatically focused uh, MMA guy, for example, you had that element, then you would join or crab guys would join practically focused karate guys would we'd all get together we all train under the same roof um and then you quickly realize that you know all that separates us really is the uniforms we wear and training method ultimately we all end up doing very very similar things it's it's just you know it's not what we do it's how we train it a lot mm. of the time so um with the wca i mean i wrote the criteria for that and the idea was not to tell people look we want you to form a cross this way or front kick this way or you've got to have it was just saying these are the kind of things that we think a good syllabus will include mm-hmm. now how you do that is up to them so it's very loose you know what i mean mm-hmm. so but one of them is you know there should be holistic life testing mm. uh, in the manner that you've described so that it gradually kind of um, increases now how groups decide to do that will obviously be for the nature of the uh, the group. So we've never dictated. We've just said, you know, these are the kind of things you might want to consider, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, In fact, I was looking at your curriculum. I have it here on my desk. And uh, it's what uh, you would describe as uh, what, what was that in the Led Zeppelin thing? Tight, but loose. You know, there's cert- <laughs> certain pillars yeah. that are pretty tight, but, you know, how you approach it could be a little bit, 
you know, loose and uh, as long as you're reaching those objectives. With that being said, I've been interested in mostly because we're probably living at a time throughout the world where we're seeing seeing things happen in a way that I can't recall uh, any any descriptions, you know, with the uh, types of um, activities, whether it's terrorist activities and things like that across different fronts and countries. And I remember reading recently that there was an what we call an uptick in requests to learn some forms of martial arts, but almost like style, style I want to say style free, but not so much of a traditional nature, but to learning uh, like a hand-to-hand combat type of thing where it's not just one-on-one self-defense type of things. It's like, look, I'm on a train and I see a terrorist or I'm on a plane and I'm, you know, I'd like to learn how to protect myself or what I should and shouldn't do and things like that. Have you had to deal with any kind of requests like that? Um, Yeah, but not as many as there should be. Yeah, I, I think this is one of the the differences you see. When when when, when martial artists think of self defence, that they, they think of exactly what you've said, you know, in air quotes because I hate the phrase a street fight. Oh, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, you know, that, that, that's what they think of. Well, well, self defence is, is is wider than that. So you you need that knowledge of things like about your home security, what's the best way to drive, what do you do if you spot an abandoned package, all this kind of stuff. So, on my own training, you know, I've done things like bomb awareness courses. Mm. Peter Constantine, because of his background in security, he delivers such courses. You know, he, he, he will do things on this is what a suspicious package will look like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And we did have an incident where me and Peter were traveling where we actually stumbled across an abandoned bag. So we went through the process in mm. actually, you know, so the, 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 I think that it's that wider element. But most martial artists aren't interested in that. What they want to know is, OK, I want to know block, kick, punch stuff mm-hmm. but self-defense is a much wider field than that of yeah. which the physical side of it's a very small part yeah. and you know especially those kind of things as you say and those those wider uh, personal security issues and security of your family issues you know it's 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 like again people spend hours learning how to block and punch but do your children know how to answer a phone call safely do they know how to call the emergency services mm. do you you know what i mean would mm. you would you recognize what kind of suspicious behavior you, you would spot associated with that kind of stuff you know it's, it's these are the things that people need educated on and with that message you know one of the things i've learned throughout the course of time that no one makes an impact like you've made an impact without stepping on a few toes along the way where you know occasionally where people are not hearing what they want to hear whether it's intentional or not, have you had to work through, I mean, you've, or your standpoint about, you know, this is pragmatic. This is like you just said there, you know, this is how I would define self-defense and it would be hard to argue it any other way. Right. But it may still not be something that other folks would want to hear. They've got their preconceived ideas about what it's all about. Has that been a difficult challenge for you to kind of take that it's been a challenge, but not a difficult one. You know, I mean, um, you, you, invariably you will um, step on a few people's toes. But I, I think as well, one of the big things is it's how you deliver the message. Mm. You know, it, which I always try and do is my, my thing is, you know, I'm not going to get personal. I'm not going to get uh, argue with people on, on a thing level. I'm going to say, look, these are the facts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So dispassionately, these are the facts. This is the this is the logic behind what I'm saying. Now, and, and again, for me, there's never any hard sell. So if people go, I disagree, good on you. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. You know what I mean? We, thankfully, we all live in 
Well, you and I do. We live in free countries. We're allowed mm. to disagree and we're allowed to have dissent. It's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what happens is the people who get the most blowback are often the ones who are presented in a kind of um, an aggressive and challenging way. Mm. So, so it, it naturally, immediately, instinctively, if you walk into some guy's dojo and say, look, I'm here to tell you that everything you're teaching is rubbish, that guy is not going <laughs> to listen to you. You know, and, and I know people who do that, and then they tell me, "Oh, I don't know why I get don't get more seminar requests." I'm thinking, "I do. I know exactly why you don't get them, because <laughs> because you know your material may be great, but your style of delivery sucks." <laughs> Whereas if, if you can, which you, I always do, I, I I always always preface every seminar with this. You know, it's like I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. I'm not here to say that it, you know that anything you're doing is incorrect. I'm just here. I'm not saying that what I do is the best way to approach things or the only way mm-hmm. to do things. It's just my way of doing things. So I would like I welcome the opportunity to present my way and I will give you my way along with the underlying thinking. But it's up to you to decide which parts of it you find useful or not. And then I always quote MacArthur. You know, if everybody's thinking the same, someone isn't thinking. So I encourage them. Say, if you don't like it, tell me you don't like it. If you want to mm. question it, that's fine. You know, and sometimes people will question it in, in ways that are entirely valid based on their own training and experience. They'll go, I don't like this because of X. And you think, you know what, mm. from your perspective, that's a logical argument, you know. Right. So, and I think yeah. when you don't give that hard sell, and people open up, and then you know, then either whether they accept or reject, you haven't upset mm. many people along the way, you know. Well, well, one of the things I've loved about talking with you and listening to you a lot of times is you have, you know, quotes of like Winston Churchill and folks like that, and a lot of times I'm quoting football coaches. And <laughs> and uh, to to your point there, one of the things that reminds me of is when I'm teaching students, a lot of times I'll say, you know, I. Bill Parcells was one of my favorite football coaches of all time. And I remember him making the comment that he had two receivers. One was kind of short and fast. The other was tall and could really jump and grab the ball. And he described him. And the one who was really tall was always trying to do things that the shorter one, the types of routes running things. And he, he looked at him one day, he said, you know, you're a giraffe and that's a zebra. You know, quit trying to be the zebra. (laughs) A lot of times when I'm translating techniques, it's almost like I'm I really have to slow down. And when I'm working with a hundred and forty five pound, five foot three, five foot four young lady, trying to look at it and go through it from her perspective is uh, one of those things where I can go, okay, I can see why you may be challenged with this as compared to why I may not be. Yeah. But that's for me, it's one of the most rewarding components of practicing martial arts is that uh, much like you and I, uh, we don't, you know, we've talked about and came together on a couple of topics and things like that. But um, having someone who gives me good feedback of their perspective and things like that, and it may not necessarily be exactly how I thought about it or how I may see it myself, but I could also see the validity, validity in many cases of theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's one of getting to know you and how you teach. That's been one of the most beautiful things about uh, learning a lot. I've learned more about karate in the past year and a half than I ever knew existed, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad that uh, um, you found that helpful. But that's the point. You know, I don't don't want to give, you know, my karate is my karate and I have my way of viewing things. And I obviously believe that my way of viewing things is best for me because if I didn't, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it would be illogical not to. But Mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to get, clones of me i'm trying to say look this is stuff i found useful mm. now maybe you'll find bits of it useful too but you have to take it with your own prior knowledge one of my favorite ones for this is, is chris wilder you know a good guy based in seattle mm-hmm. wrote a load of really good books yeah mm-hmm. well the first time chris came to the uk he taught uh, a session 
um, the judo club that I, I teach at as well. So we had people coming from Scotland and Northern England and, and uh, we're driving home and Chris, you know, he's sitting in the car and he says to me, he goes, hey, how did you enjoy that? He goes, really did like it. I'm stealing this off you. I love the way you do that. <laughs> you know, we're going to take this. And then it, it, Chris's way of generating power is more structural, whereas mm. my way of generating power is more rotational. Okay. So, so um, although there is some crossover, a little bit different. So then Chris said to me, and, you know, Chris can hit like a mule. And, you know, so there's, <laughs> there's, there's no, it, it works, but it's different. And, and then he said to me, he goes, what about the power generation stuff? And I said, Chris, I loved it. I said, it just doesn't fit with the way that we move. And he went, well, of course, he said. He goes, no one tries to put Ford parts on a Peugeot car, do they? <laughs> you know, and I thought that, that was a perfect analogy. Do you know what I mean? Because whatever you're doing needs to fit within the wider context of what you're doing. So mm. sometimes something's not wrong or right. It's just, is it wrong or right for that person or wrong or right for that context or wrong or right within that wider skill set? Mm-hmm. You know, and measure by result and you can't go far wrong, really. Uh, oh, one of my favorite quotes that I have from you is that it says, I've always said that for me, my martial arts need to be both life enhancing, fun mm-hmm. and life preserving, combative skill and health. For me, karate is the methods that fits those two requirements most effectively. It is functional, enjoyable, and I can do it for the whole of my life, albeit in differing ways. Uh, if I was going to encapsulate martial arts of any kind, that would pretty much cover it, you know, that you could mm-hmm. enjoy it, live your life through it, uh, promote your health, uh, develop some skills to keep yours and your family safe and things along those lines. Um, you've been doing this for a long time now. And do you still feel the same way? Yeah, that- no, absolutely. That, that, and, and that's, and I'm really glad that that quote resonates with you because that's, that's it for me. If it was just enjoyable, but had no functional use, I wouldn't be interested in it. If it just had functional use, but wasn't enjoyable, I wouldn't be interested in it. It, it, it needs to do all of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of one of the things as well, it needs to be lifelong for me. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I think it's one of the things that the traditional martial arts don't sell enough. When, when we're in the marketplace of when we're, you know, telling people why traditional arts are good. One thing we don't emphasize enough is you can do it the whole of your life. You can't say the same of uh, boxing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You can do boxing for a certain time period, then you can move into coaching or something like that, but you can't actively do it in the way that you once could. Mm-hmm. The, you know, there's a child's version of karate. You'll reach your teens, then you want to get that proving yourself point of it so you can compete and you can do all that kind of fun stuff. You get a little bit older and now you're worried about your family and you and yours, so we'll give you the skills to help you protect what you've got. Mm. As you get a bit older still, you want to keep a body that's functional and healthy, so we'll help you do that too. You know, it needs to be to do all of that for me. And that, that's why, you know, all martial arts are good. It's, it's a mm. matter of choosing the right one for you. But mm. for me, karate is the one that ticks those boxes for me. I do yeah. find it enjoyable. It is good for my health and I do find it functional. So I. I'm and, happy with it. Yeah, and that's a very, very much the same for the same reasons. You know, you made a comment earlier, and I, I've told many of my students uh, the same thing that, you know, I started martial arts because I wanted to. Literally, I needed to be a better person in many ways, and and I've told folks since then is that you wouldn't want to have known me if I didn't practice the martial arts because mm. I, I didn't even like myself to a degree. There were things about myself that I knew had to evolve and change as I was going through things. And uh, having that part of having fun with it, finding it functional both in a combative level, a developmental level, you can evolve the variables a little bit. So you can continue to practice, 
well into your later years. I only have two other things here on my notes, and one of them is, do you have any questions for me? Um, no, not really. Okay. If, it, if I did have had, we've discussed them anyway, you see. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, the, in, in the back and forth conversations. It's one of the, again, this is one of the reasons why I enjoy listening to you. Because one thing that always amazes me with your podcast is the depth of information you put out there. And when you're getting them out as frequently as you are, because if people don't know, you and I know because we do it, mm-hmm. putting a podcast out takes some work. You know, I mean, if, it, if it's 30 minutes long, it, 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 it took a long time to record, to edit, to put the music on, mm. to, you know, whatever mm. else, you, else you need to do. So the, mm. the, 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 the width of mm-hmm. uh, the topics you cover, and the depths you cover them, and the frequency with which you get these high quality podcasts out blows me away really. yeah. but but um but what while again every time i listen to you I think i've got up my game i've got up my game <laughs> but, but the, the, the um uh but the, the content i know we're on a similar wavelength because that's why i enjoy listening to you so but mm-hmm. i mean one thing i mean how do you do that that we want to do have you know in terms of your podcasting schedule well i mean how on earth do you manage that work rate is ridiculous well I, i'll be honest with you uh first uh as when I started listening to your podcast and, you know, they were like 45 minutes to an hour long, I started learning how to do the podcast. I was, it took me, I don't know, I would dare say seven hours of work to put together a 15, 20 minute podcast. Mm. And some of it was the technical components of it. And then other parts of it, literally, uh, you have a fantastic language, you know, your vocabulary and things like that. And then when I'm in communication with people like uh, Dr. Ben Junkins and uh, some of the other folks who I, you know, work, you know, gotten to know very well, I literally was in a, I felt like I was going back to school and I was trying to learn how to do the technical components of a podcast and then also learning a language. I mean, I had no history. If I was in history class, I got through it. I don't recall it. I was didn't have the language of an anthropologist or an, you know ethnographic researcher and <laughs> things like that. Now I, I, you know I had to go look up what an ethnographic researcher is, and then <laughs> I've literally been in situations where I looked up a word and then I had to go look up the meaning of the meaning I had just gotten. <laughs> that really made me appreciate how much effort and time you put in your podcast. And you're absolutely right when you hear. Uh, one of my podcasts that are 30 to 50 minutes long, that's many, many hours of work sitting there behind it. Um, but uh, the reason that I got started with the podcast, was, as I said before, is part of your motivation. Um, I felt like in the world of Kung Fu, I wanted there to be something that was not magical chi fighting and, mm. you know, this other stuff. And I really wanted to put something out there that was transparent and that folks could listen to and get something out of and me not trying, like you said earlier, I'm not trying to hard sell anything on that podcast and in this podcast, uh, actually talking with you, I actually forget that we're recording a podcast now, <laughs> you know? so, uh, uh, but uh, because it is so organic and it comes from a heart, I wanted to do it. And I knew that the only way that I could make an impact was to be consistent, transparent, and authentic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the guys who was coaching me a little bit as far as learning the technical components of podcasting said, well, you know, a weekly schedule is the best schedule to try to generate traction. Hmm. And <laughs> I was, I'm going to tell you, uh, it took a toll on me personally because 
I had no idea how much work was involved. And since then, uh, I've actually alluded to in the last podcast, you know, the about 15 podcasts ago, the game got upped. You know, somewhere this standard changed. And the 20 minute podcast has turned into like a 30, 45 minute podcast. And I think in the last podcast, I read almost 40 resources, you know, trying to put these things together into a story that made sense. And then I did all this recording and uh, came in and it didn't sound right. And I hit delete and started the whole thing over again. I've learning how to put in a schedule, my research, the recording, and the editing now is pretty simple. I've gotten a lot better about how I articulate things and things like that. So that's actually helped me a lot. The only way I can could tell anybody, and I get people all the time, I'm sure you do, is like, you know, I'd like to do a podcast on so-and-so or this and that. And I said, well, you know, I wish you the best because that it is a tremendous amount of work and you're going to have to dedicate a chunk of your week mm. or a month to pull it off is uh, I saw a picture of you one time sitting in a coffee shop with your iPad and a keyboard. Is that where you do most of your work? Uh, no, I, I know which one you mean. That was, it was when I was visiting their family in Germany, that one. No, most of my writing is done in, uh, it's in the office I'm standing in now. So it's a r- room of my home. Mm. Um, so that's, that's where I, I do. Uh, more. And sometimes again, I have a, an iPad with a Bluetooth keyboard because I travel so much. If I end mm. up, you know, sometimes you know flights delayed, and I'm great. I can catch up on some work. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's, it's so I, I I try and sneak the moments when uh, whenever I can. But even then, you know, I, I'm getting podcasts out maybe once a month, once every five or six weeks. So mm-hmm. to do one weekly at the quality that you do is uh, good. But see, people forget this. I think is is there's sometimes an assumption that it works the other way around. So um, you and I kind of you know have a we're known within our martial communities. But the reason we're known is because we did the work. No, nobody knocked on the door and said, hey, Tim, we really like what you're doing. Do you want a podcast? And no one said to me, do you, you know, we like what you're doing. Do you want to write a book? You, you've got to get that information out there yourself. You know. Mm. And, and one thing I think that I'm sure you would echo it is I mean, just encourage people in whatever way. If, you, if people have got good ideas in this internet age, whether it's um, writing a blog post or writing a forum post or posting videos up to YouTube, the more of us there are like us who have respect for the traditional martial arts but aren't kind of, we don't defy them, you know, we can still question them as well. The more mm. of us there are getting our thoughts out, I think the better it is for the, the arts themselves, you know. And I know loads of guys, I say, you know, I move in that karate circle, I love your podcast for that reason because mm. it's that, you know, educated questioning of what we do. Yeah. Well, one of the things I made in the last podcast, too, and I put it, try to say it quite a bit, is I would love for the traditional martial artists to continue to try to come together, irregardless of their styles and systems, to support one another uh, so that we could have almost like our uh, like a network of support and that the art itself is still alive and the folks that want to practice in a traditional sort of way, in a pragmatic sort of way are just as wonderful as those who want to practice for sport Mm. or tournaments and movies and things like that, which, you know, those are all different areas that you could apply maybe some of the same techniques, but the, the approach to the art is different. And I know you and I uh, share several people who, you know, follow both of us. One is Gretchen, who I like to say, Hey, Gretchen, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, she's a, a young, young martial artist uh, trying to cut her teeth now and to start in her school up there and uh, communicate back and forth with her a little bit. 
And, uh, you know, if you had two to three things that you would say to any young martial artist who's aspiring to be a traditional martial artist and maybe one day carry the torch where you and I have long passed away, what are two or three things you tell them to make sure that you do? Number one would have to be trained consistently. You know, because uh, you need to develop your skills. Above all else, you need to develop that. So you, you train consistently the entire time. The second one is, you know, I would say, don't be scared of getting your head above the parapet. If you've got some information to share, get up there and share it, you know. And then the third thing on the basis of that is, once you're up there and you're doing that kind of stuff, some people love what you do. Some people hate what you do. Just It's an irrelevance. Just keep throwing your stuff out. Mm. And then you know, then it will it will it will it will gather traction. Good information <laughs> tends to win out in the in the marketplace of ideas. I think so. Because yeah. the, the the thing is, as well, and the reason I'm saying that is, it's no good if you get these really talented traditional martial artists who are teaching out of a church hall somewhere who have got like 10, 20 students and the rest of the world doesn't know about them. Mm-hmm. They're only doing a service there to their 10, 20 students. So if you've got some interesting ideas and information and drills that you think can be a benefit to everyone else, the onus is on you to share it. Mm. And I think sometimes people mistake a desire to passionately share what we do because we think it will be a benefit to the community. It's not an ego thing. It's not kind of you know, hey, everybody, look at me. It's like, you know, I like this stuff. I hope you will like it too. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. uh, you, you're doing a service to our community when you share that kind of information, you see. Yeah. And Gretchen's a really good example of that. You know, she's mm-hmm. got that blog that's going really well. I love mm-hmm. the post that she writes up there, you know. Mm-hmm. She's out there. She's putting her information out. And, yeah. and that people would do well to follow her example because she's doing the traditional arts a service. Yeah. I totally agree, and that's uh, she's the sort of person who I'd like to try to support as the as time goes by. And I, I would I would echo the words that when you do decide to find the courage to stick your head up and try to communicate what what in whatever form format media format you decide to do it, uh, to learn to develop some some thick skin, right? <laughs> because. Uh, uh, it's been amazing for me is that a lot of, I have quite a few people who love love the podcast, but you know occasionally I may be challenged with the way that my accent uh, might pronounce some word in Mandarin or Cantonese that you know I can right with I, you. Yeah, I guess that. <laughs> and, and, and it is interesting enough. I, you know, I was in communication with uh, Mr. Adam Shu, who is a very traditional martial artist from the old days of the Chinese martial arts, and a wonderful scholarly gentleman as well. And he made the comment that you know he sits in the room with you know fifteen, twenty other Chinese folks, and he can't understand them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same sort of thing that, and so I was like, well, why am I getting held at a standard? Well, I know. See, the, the way the way I would put it, no one ever won a fight through good pronunciation. You know what I mean? So, you know, so, so it's it's one of these kind of irrelevancies, I think. Yeah. But no, you, you you do you do get that. But the, the trick is, is it, it, I think it's human nature as well. Mm. Um, that what what people you can get a thousand guys who say you know I really like what you do, and then you'll get one guy guys I hate it. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And human nature is to focus on the guy who hates it. Right. <laughs> you know, right but, but, and, 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 and the trick is to just go, you know, okay, you know, I get it. Some people like it, some people will hate it. And 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 and, and that's fine. Mm. You know what I mean? That's absolutely fine. Yeah. You know, there's you can't please everybody all the time. And if you try to, you end up producing things that's of no worth. That's right. You know, you just say say what you believe, say it honestly, say it politely, try and you know, articulate the message in a way that people can buy into yes. and then you've done your business and it's up to them whether people like it or loathe it. And, I, and I, here's the thing, Sid, this is what I, I have lots of people around me who, um, 
I respect, I really like what they do, they like what I do, but we disagree on some fundamental things. And, and, and that's one of the things I like on my forum. There's lots of disagreement and dis- dis- dissent on there, but it's always done like gentlemen. Absolutely. You know I mean? Yeah, so and it, it, and it's, it never gets personal. It's just, so it's just talking about the issues. And I admire, we, again, we had um, um, Evan, is it Presetti? He's a pressure point guy mm-hmm. uh, who uh, there'd been some talk about pressure points. His name had got mentioned and he comes on the forum and he, he argues his case and he listens to the criticisms that people have and, um, and, and he, he argues what he believes and doesn't. And at the end of all of that, you know, I mean, he, and he articulates his arguments very well, but at the end of it, we've got a, a lovely thread that people can read through where they can mm-hmm. get both sides of the argument and they can see a good discussion where nothing's personal and it's just based on the logic of it. And that's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, in case anyone doesn't know who's listening to the podcast, is you know, if you ever need to find it, you can go to kungfupodcast.com forward slash Ian. I. <laughs> A-I-N, and it'll take you right there to this forum that he's uh, talking about. And I, it's a wonderful place. And you're absolutely right. The the folks there uh, articulate their arguments or their thoughts very, very politely. And just, it, it's wonderful. Um, actually, it's something that was very surprising to me, especially from a Kung Fu standpoint, because most of the time, a lot of the Kung Fu was, it was movies. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, there was always different types of arguments that uh, weren't always presented very gentlemanly. Let's just put it like that. Well, well um, I was, I was just to say, so, go so, so, I was just going to say, yeah, no, but but what we did there was, I just thought, let's just think of it like an online dojo. Mm. So if somebody came in shooting the mouth out, they'd just be showing the door as the word they everyone else. So it just it, we created a tone when we started the, the forum maybe a decade ago, mm. and the, the the tone has just been maintained. You know what I mean? Is that people can they'll strongly disagree with one another on certain things, which is fine. I think it's good because they make for the interesting threads. But but again, it doesn't resort to insulting each other's mothers and things, which you see on other <laughs> forums. You know, right? Right? Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I can't tell you enough uh, how much I appreciate you. You know, just sharing the time with you. I know with your travels and your work that you're extremely busy, and uh, but it's uh, been a real pleasure of mine to be able to sit down and chat with you and. Uh, literally just get to ask you some of the questions I would love to have asked you if we were just sitting down and having have dinner and get to talk. And I also want to make sure while I'm thinking about it, <clears throat> please tell uh, Peter and Don that I said, yes, Hey, yeah. and thank you. Uh, yeah, no, we'll do. very supportive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, well, look uh, again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything as you always do. No, it's my, my pleasure. And, say, and th- thanks, you know, for, Again, the opportunity to, to chat to you and for the great work that you do with the podcast. You you entertain on the, all them endless hours on flights and airports and stuff like that. Mm. You're my main source of entertainment. So, <laughs> you know, keep well, them coming, you know. Well, well thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk with you again very soon. No problem. Thank you, Tim. Speak soon, mate. Bye. Thank you, sir. I hope that you found a great deal of value in this particular episode. A few highlights that I would like to emphasize. One, it's not what we do. It's how we train. We all have similar principles that we work on. It's how we go about it that's really the difference. The second is that traditional martial artists don't sell enough that you can practice this art for a lifetime. Remember that your ability to represent yourself and your system is more than punch, kick, and fight. As many of you who are teachers of traditional martial arts, most of you I know are not part of a franchise or a McDojo type of system. You're an independent. 
However, it's a mistake to think that to the public's eye, you're an independent. To much of the public, you are a martial arts studio, just like I have my martial arts school and studio, our training facilities. And one of us can reflect on the others just as much as anything else. So one of the things that you can help yourself and everybody else who teaches traditional martial arts, make sure that when you're telling your story, making your presentation to someone who's interested in the martial arts, that they can practice it for a lifetime. But make sure that that is absolutely true. As you heard Ian saying, if you're practicing boxing all the time, you've only got a window of time to practice it, and then you're going to have to give it up and go into something else. So if you do have a part of your curriculum that can be practiced for a lifetime, highlight it. If you don't, but you want to have one, find some part of the art that can be practiced for a lifetime and highlight that. The third thing, what were three things Ian recommended that you do over the course of time to make sure that you can make your mark in traditional martial arts in the years to come? One, train consistently. I call that sweat equity. you got to have it. Two, if you've got good ideas, get out there and share them. And the third thing is to realize that you're going to make an impact, and when you make an impact, you're not always going to make everyone happy. You're going to have to develop a little thicker skin. Have a good message, and avoid hard selling and putting other traditional martial artists down, especially just because they're not in your type of system or style. Now, if you've made it to this point in this particular episode, I safely assume that you're at one of these three places in your traditional martial arts. You want to learn or practicing traditional martial arts and really wanting to hone your craft. You are currently teaching or one day aspire to teach traditional martial arts. Or lastly, you want to develop yourself into being a leader of traditional martial arts. As you heard Ian and I discussed, there are many progressions that we must walk through in order to become traditional martial artists. There are progressions to making a dent in the marketplace as well. Most traditional martial artists are independent, as I mentioned before, but we can work together even as independents, irregardless of the styles or systems that we might practice, and I intend to try to encourage and to support that. To put my money where my mouth is, I have already invested in and purchased two domains that I believe we'll be able to use as upcoming services to help make that happen and to stimulate more interest in us working together. The first is traditionalmartialarts.club. It's our domain now, and the purpose of this site will be to create a network. I'm going to set it up so that collectively, those of you who want to find out other traditional martial artists like yourself can by using this network. The other program is already underway. It's starting. It's in its infancy phases, but it's called Martial Arts Profession. This is going to be a very thorough-based business and marketing platform designed specifically for traditional martial arts. Now, I've listened to and seen some of the marketing programs that are out there for martial artists, and most of them are designed for the McDojo or franchise systems. The independent traditional martial artists are out there trying to learn without a whole lot of support, and if they do have some support, it's pretty expensive. I told Gretchen a few weeks ago that I wanted to support her in starting her school, and I had to find a mechanism to do it, and this is going to be that mechanism. The martial arts profession is also where I will better address the question that you heard Ian ask me about how I produce the quality podcast for nearly two years on a weekly basis and how it is naturally evolving. It is the place where I'll bring to you the bullet points of some important skills and techniques that you may need along the way. 
One skill that I'll tell you without a doubt I would highly recommend to any traditional martial artist to begin to practice is learn how to tell a short story. It is by far the most important skill you'll ever need. Every blog post, every podcast, every resume you fill out, every tour you give in your facility is part of a story. You learn to get someone's attention, educate them through the story, and eventually get them to take action that is best suited for them at that moment in time. There was one man who was extremely good at this, and his understandings and techniques are used to this day. His name was John Powers. He was an American short story copywriter that lived from 1837 to 1919. He is often regarded as the father of storytelling marketing. He is also the one who developed a free trial to give someone a low entry point to develop a relationship with them. He created the idea of having installment plans for purchasing. Mr. Powers became international, and he was so good at telling stories and having influence that he went to Great Britain, and he created such a demand for sewing machines that his company, Wilcox & Gibbs, could not even meet the demands that he created. Jonah Sachs, who wrote the piece, Winning the Story Wars, said of Powers, quote, He had given us all we've ever really needed to know. Be interesting. Tell the truth. And if you can't tell the truth, change what you're doing so you can. In other words, live the truth. End quote. Start there. Know what you're about. Your story should tell your perspective to influence someone about what you do and how it will assist them in achieving their objective. Your story should not misrepresent you or try to manipulate someone into buying or selling a contract. Don't go out there to try to please everyone. Pick an area or two to focus in and develop your stories. You don't need to look far if you're not sure where to begin. Just ask some of the people you're already working with. What's their story? What did they think it was going to be like when they began and how did that change? One thing I know for sure about 90% of every student I work with and it's part of the story that I share with every new person, is that most new students start out with an area that they want to focus in. Better health, reduced stress, self-protection, being a practical martial artist. But almost every time, as they get more comfortable, that focus will transform into something that's influenced them along the way. So if they find something along the way that intrigues them or raises their curiosity, say, for example, learning Bakwa Jang, then let me know it's okay to explore some on the journey. For those who already have experience in telling stories and sharing their stories, I've put together a little bullet list just to remind you of some of the main components and give you an idea of how to build a marketing story for yourself. You can go to martialartsprofession.com forward slash short story and have a PDF file delivered to you. Well, that's it for episode number 88. Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ian, for spending so much of your time with us. And for each one of you, a practitioner of traditional martial arts, I encourage you to get out there to practice today. Do your best, have a great time, and I'll be talking with you again real soon.